This is Leadership Letters, the podcast reflecting on and discussing all things leadership. Coming up... What am I avoiding? I always ask that question to myself. There are times when it just does not go the way you want it to do. And how are you going to react as a leader? What you were talking about there around survival leadership is really interesting. Hmm. I've really tried to bring into my leadership over the last sort of five to eight years is seeing well-being as a performance advantage. That's part of the looking after yourself, isn't it? When do you listen to your team? But when do you go with what you really feel? Hi, I'm Lizzie Bentley-Bowers. Welcome to the final episode of Season 3 of Leadership Letters. Leadership Letters is a place where we spend time in conversation with leaders, offering you food for thought, inspiration, tools, techniques, ideas and thinking through the insights, experiences and challenges that our guests share. And a reminder that our sister podcast, Towards Leadership, is where we'll chew over some of what we've heard in a bit more detail and where you'll find resources in our read, watch and listen to sections, as well as more tools, techniques, reflective exercises and thinking to support and challenge you as a leader. Whether you've been in the C-suite for many years or are just starting out in your career with an eye on your future as a leader, there will be something for you. Our guest today was instrumental in the success of British para table tennis, achieving multiple medals at the London 2012 Paralympic Games and securing record-breaking results in both Rio 2016 and Tokyo 2020, helping Great Britain secure second place in the overall medals table. As an ex-England international table tennis athlete, former national coach, head coach and current performance director at Boccia UK, he has successfully competed and worked in elite sport performance leadership and management positions for over 20 years. Bringing this insight and coaching skill to his other role as a certified executive coach working in all sectors, he believes in leadership responsibility at all levels within an organisation and brings his values of trust, respect, honesty and togetherness to his coaching work. All of which makes Greg Baker a fabulous fit for Leadership Letters and someone I'm very much looking forward to talking to. So welcome, Greg, and thank you for joining us, particularly with the not-so-small matter of the Paralympics being just a few months away. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, talking all things leadership, that's for sure. Well, well let's dive on in then. Um, we tend to start with early experiences of leadership. Where and when did you first realise that leadership was a thing? Where did you first experience a sense that there was a leader in the room and what impact has that had on your leadership? It'd probably be when I was competing as an athlete. To cut a long story short, I, I, as you said in the intro, represented England in, in table tennis at a very early age. So it, I would have been 10 or 11 when I had my first international cap, if you like, away at France. I remember it very clearly still um, going away with the England team. And obviously you have coaches with you, you have team managers with you. And so... In that in that sort of situation, you look up to to those coaches and team managers. You are uh, they are sort of role models to you. Um, they've had experience of the sport. They've you know played at a very good level in the sport. They've got good insight, good good um, good advice. And so that's when I knew that leadership was a thing. You know, a very a very early age because they were trying to get us to go down a certain path. They wanted us to behave and do certain things to to be the best we can possibly be as athletes so that was where you know that sort of exemplary leadership and we are going to go down this journey together and we want everyone to be part of that journey um happened for me uh you know very early on and, and that's where I got probably from a very early early age obsessed in leadership and obsessed in um 
being in a team and wanting to to work together collaboratively to achieve it to achieve a common goal that was that was sort of drilled into me at a very early age and it's the reason why I got into coaching and, and leading myself very early I had a short international career and it was more of the how do I help people grow inspire them develop them um, and bring people on a journey that I was really excited to get into when I went into my sort of sports coaching days which was was very young. I'm really struck by what you noticed from a very early age as well so you said that you knew that they were showing you a certain path for you to be at your best. So early on, it sounds like your experience of leadership was, this is to support me, it's to help me. It's, it's kind of not about them, it's about me. Would, does that sound right? And it sounds like something you've carried on through. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. So at that age, it was very much about what can what can the coaches, team managers provide what environment can they provide um in order for us as the athletes and the, and, and the players to then excel so it's very much around um what does the training environment look like what does the competition environment look like what does our home environments look like um in order for us to be the best athletes we can be and, the, and be the best version uh, of ourselves um and that's i've very much taken that on in terms of my coaching and my leadership and I think in that you're always tweaking you're always trying to find different ways for your athletes or for your staff that you're sort of line managing to be the best they can be um and that's and that's different right it's different for one person to the other and that's what I found in my leadership journey is that there's no one way of of what performance or what leadership is there's no one result you know we have to flex we have to adapt and I've tried to bring that into my own sort of leadership philosophy and and that takes it takes a lot of headspace and a lot of, lot of time and you seem to be spinning a lot of plates because you have different behaviors different different personalities and different mindsets that you're dealing with but I think you know in leadership uh, in the modern era you have to flex and adapt and, and and there's no one way uh which I've definitely brought into to my leadership from from an early age and, and continue to grow because leadership is is constantly evolving and that's why I'm so fascinated about it. And that point you make about headspace and time, it takes a lot of headspace and time. I'm I'm making an assumption there that that's about the planning and the preparing and the how do you in order to do that flexing and in order to tailor some things to the individual whilst also accounting for the whole team. What's your take on that? What what did you mean by that? Yeah, it, it's very much how you were summarising there. So, it, it, if I if I relate it to the, the the squad that I'm in at the moment, and it was also in my so as performance director with Botch UK, but also in my head coach days with Paratobasins, we've got such a, a magnitude of of different personality, different behaviour traits, um, people that you know their stress points or stress triggers are at different areas. You know where you press the buttons are in different. How you get them going, you know what is it they're motivated towards. Everyone's completely different, and I think as a leader, you've got to be tuned into that, and you've got to dial into how do I get the best out of this person in front of me, and is that different to the person next to them? And, and a lot of times it is because everyone is so different. And so as a leader, you you have to have the ability to be able to flex, adapt, know how to get the best out of somebody, know when to say more know when to say less know when to be taught with body language know when to talk with words you know all these different little traits and different niches that I think really help in in leadership but of course in order to be aware of that in order to have not only the self-awareness of how you're being as a leader but then awareness of others around you takes up a lot of and I'll go back to that word a lot of headspace as a leader um, because you're constantly thinking about 
okay, where does this person need to be? What 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 do they need around them? How am I coming across to them? Do I need to be directed? Do I need to to give more uh, advice and guidance? Do I need to ask more questions depending on their learning style, depending what how they how they uh, in terms of do they want autonomy here? Do they want more directing? So I think that takes rather than assuming you know what is best for somebody or or a group. I think always checking in with yourself as a leader is actually am I doing the the best job for this individual in front of me, and 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 what is it that I need to do in order to get the best out of out of this uh, this person or this group or this team, and that for me sometimes means as a leader doing things that don't necess- aren't necessarily in, in your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So it might be uncomfortable for you to go into a space of. For example, in, in my world, that would be to be more expressive at times. But I know I have to go into that sort of leadership style with certain individuals to get the best out of them. Whereas in others, I might go into more of my sweet spot, which is more that logical, rational, analytical. Um, but if I was the logical, analytical with certain individuals, I might lose them. You know, they might not be on track. They might um, I might not be able to influence and inspire them as much as as other people. So I have to flex my, my style for that. And that awareness takes up a lot of, time a lot of thinking time a lot of reflection time and and going back again to that word a lot of headspace so i think what's really important uh, also as a leader and what i've found over the last few years is is giving myself some space to breathe and and sort of that well-being space because there's so many things going on that you're trying to influence so many different individuals that if you're not taking care of yourself also as a leader to give yourself the time to breathe and, and reflect and understand um how this might be impacting your own headspace is this the recovery piece yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think sometimes we we miss that and we forget that, especially in the world of sport, where I'm from, uh, where we're constantly focused on a certain outcome or a certain result. And we want to be the best we can possibly. And the reason why we're in performance sport is because we want to be the best. We want to win. Um, you know, we're quite obsessed with winning. We want to do it in the right way, of course, within the right culture and developing people as well as athletes. Um, but sometimes you can forget about hey, I need to recover as well as a leader. As much as we would say to our athletes, you need to recover from different matches that you go into from competition to competition. As a coach, as a leader, as a practitioner, sports scientist, it's the same for us. Otherwise, we're burning out. So yeah, that, that's is exactly what I mean. Totally. And I mean, I'm sure you've had this conversation many times, as have I, about looking to the world of athletes, performance in sports, to plan the recovery, build it in, see it as part of, the work which when we're in some different work environments we might not tend to do totally and i think we get we can get stuck in the in the doing right so the the task focus day-to-day operational doing of leadership coaching and actually i also we need to spend more time being how are we actually coming across how are we being how are we recovering and, and one thing that i've really tried to bring into my leadership over the last sort of five to eight years is seeing well-being as a as a performance advantage rather than seeing well-being as something that's a sort of nice to have for me it's something that is an absolute need to have in all all environments not only sport but also in business in the corporate world uh, and not getting too stuck in you know if i'm busy every day and if i'm doing the task every day then i must be doing a good job now that's not to say you're not but are you doing is the quality good enough are you giving you are you giving yourself enough time to recover recharge to increase your quality and that quality over quantity for me is absolutely significant in any environment but it's allowing i suppose it's making sure that environments and workplace cultures and sporting cultures are allowing that time and leaders are allowing to see their employees or their staff members that actually time off or time away or looking after each other 
uh, is actually an advantage for them in the long run. That's what makes it sustainable, apart from anything else. If, you know, burnout's a very real thing, and it's about not, it happens when people don't pay attention to those things. I love what you said as well about the looking after each other. As that's part of the looking after yourself, isn't it? The the accountability, the the looking after others. That yeah, there's something really important in there. I think. Yeah, and I think again that is, you know, if we talk about high-performing teams and environments that would be where individuals are not just focused on on the task at hand and their sort of individual specialism of of area but they're also looking after each other in terms of team members they're able to challenge team members but also support team members and know which one to dial up or dial down depending on the context or depending on the conversations they're having or where they are in the year or what is it what are their key milestones that they're working towards and I think that level of empathy compassion but also being able to challenge as well um in team environments is is significant so and i think that's what i always mean by well-being so uh, i do think sometimes the word well-being does get lost and has been potentially overused or or used in a lot of different ways over the last sort of few years probably since covid days actually because that obviously well-being came in significantly and everyone sort of stood um stopped didn't they and breathed and, and okay what, what's next uh for them but the way I see well-being is it doesn't mean that we don't do things, um, you know, and we stop doing everything because we just need to have a total break. It's actually how are we looking after each other in times of high pressure, high stress, high workload, because in, especially in the sporting environment, we can't really get away from that. We know we're in a high pressured environment. We know it's going to be stressful. We know that, you know, when we go to a competition, everybody around the world wants to win that one medal and there's only that one gold medal to give away no you know not everyone can win so we know it is going to be you know we're going to have failures as well as success and how do we manage that how do we deal with that so that well-being piece is around how do we look after each other in those real stress triggered pressured high pressured environments um how do we know how to get the best out of someone is that given is that giving someone a bit of wriggle room to go and even have a coffee is that to go and to have be on the phone with friends and family is that for, to send someone way to go and have a walk and a, or a run when if they have to little things like that in terms of that well-being plan to know what's right for certain individuals to keep them in a sort of headspace where they can perform they can achieve and they can manage all of this high-pressured environment that they have. So that's what I mean, really, about looking after each other and and, and having well-being at the sort of centre of high performance, rather than it being, I think it can get lost, that well-being is used as a way to, you know, go and have two weeks off or, um, you know, instead of having 10 training camps during the, 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 you know, the next six months, we'll have two instead because we need to look. It's not that. It's not really taking so many things away. It's more... How are we going to be together as a team when we are in this environment, which is going to be going to be tough, right? This is this is hard work. So how do we how do we make sure that we are looking after each other? I wonder if I can take you back to one of the things that you said earlier. So you you were talking about um, the importance of that space and that restoration in building your awareness of where you're being successful, where the where the, where you need to flex, you know, how you can serve the needs of the team. And I'm curious about. How did you fill that space? So you, you, for example, you said you noticed that you might need to go out of your comfort zone a bit and what that mm. meant for you. Because I'd love our listeners to understand how they could go about when they do the self-awareness work, they know what it is they need to build in order to be able to flex. Where did you head to understand the skills, the things that you needed to maybe shift, maybe build in order to have those that whole range of availability and flex that you needed? 
in order to push myself and take myself out of my comfort zone and really understand who I am as a person and as a leader under pressure is to be able to so if I would go back 10 15 years is to be able to coach people that it that those individuals or those teams I have completely different views and values to myself and 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 you and you look at it and you go how are we going to make this work now the easy thing to do there is just is walk, is walk away and say well they we don't share the same values or same principles so therefore this isn't going to work Whereas as the leader, you have the ability, I think, then to go, okay, how do I still make this work? Because I am the leader in this environment. I can influence. How do I flex? That doesn't mean you have to tiptoe around everybody. And I think there's there's got to be a bit of movement both ways. But how do I flex in order to make sure that I'm challenging myself so I know that I can work with a whole range of different individuals, different teams to to still get the sort of outcomes that we're trying to achieve? So I, I purposely put myself in situations where I knew I was going to for a better word, struggle, because it didn't sit that well with me, whether that was in terms of um, my values or I knew it was going to be hard work for me in, in terms of the people that I was working with. But, but what I found on the other side of that is you build a real significant resilience in yourself. You know that no matter what happens around you, you can you can manage it, you can you can work with a whole range of different people. And and that brings a whole range self-confidence and um, knowing that you have this sort of inner core of just being able to shift when you need to shift. Because I always say, whether it's whether it's corporate world or sport or business, we have to get better at working under extreme stress and extreme pressure. That's when we really know who we are, what we're about, um, what we're made of. If we don't do that and you don't challenge yourself, you can just believe in what you want to believe in and you start to believe in your own assumptions you start to believe in um that, that the way that you do things is the only way so i was always conscious of how do i make sure that i'm putting myself in different situations i'm talking to different people i'm going to different environments i think understanding who you are first understanding where you need where you need to get to but also understanding that you being in uncomfortable situations is absolutely needed and necessary for you to be the best leader that you can be. Yeah, I love that. It'll be really tempting and it, and, it, and it's important to be doing that work of preparing for leadership or preparing for evolving as a leader. But you're right, there's something about if you keep waiting for the discomfort and you don't experience it and you don't do that sort of on task in the moment learning as well, there'll be... Yeah, that could come back to haunt you when the pressure hits. Yeah, and I suppose that the one thing I always ask myself today, and I, I, it's probably like a weekly check-in, and sometimes it, the answer would be no, I'm not, and sometimes yes, and how do I how do I flex it? Is is what am I avoiding? Um, I always ask that question to myself. I, I asked it so much when I was developing as a as a sports coach. Firstly, into my head coach days where, um, you know, it, it, there was a lot going on. We had a lot, a lot of change. There was a lot of management. There was a lot of people involved. There was a lot of, we had to change a whole culture of, of where we wanted to get to when I was head coach of British Power Tennis. And what am I avoiding? And am I avoiding it for the right reasons or the wrong reasons? Am I avoiding it because it's the most, it's the easier thing to do and the comfortable thing to do? Or am I avoiding it because actually I don't want to have that difficult conversation or I don't want to go there because I know it's going to be uncomfortable. It doesn't sit well for me. So it's always asking that question. We all know, right, we're human beings. We like comfort. We like doing the things that we know. We like routine. 
Um, and although that can be really useful under pressure, actually keeping people busy and having a routine, um, if we want to keep pushing and want to keep stretching as individuals and teams, it's making sure we're doing things that don't always sit comfortable with us because I always think that's where the magic can uh, can happen. I'd love to hear about who you were thinking about in terms of leadership letters. We're going to do things slightly differently and yeah. we're going to go with shortlist. So who made it to your shortlist for a leadership letter and why? Well, this was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. <laughs> and it came down to three exemplary leaders all in completely different contexts, um, but people that you know I look up to, role models to me, um, try to learn from. And the first one would be Jacinda Ardern, the ex New Zealand Prime Minister. I I, I just think ev- everything that that she did in her reign, actually as Prime Minister, was exemplary. How she handled the COVID situation, I think, was was extraordinary. But I really love how in leadership it is not it is not uh, weak to be empathic and have compassion because you can have that and also be direct and make big decisions at the same time you don't have to always be this forceful um extrinsic sort of person I'm stereotyping there not to say those those individuals or people with those traits aren't good leaders but I like the balance of empathy compassion but then knowing when you've got to make a tough decision and I think that um is what I really like about you, Cinder Ardern, and someone that I would love to write a letter to. Yeah, the, the second one is somebody that uh, I read a book called Endurance um, some time ago when I was on UK Sports Elite Programme, and actually that it was one book they wanted us to read, and I just fell in love with Ernest Shackleton and his um, approach to leadership. And, and in a way, it's not not just around what he did in terms of his exploration and in, in his expeditions he did to the Antarctic. I think he did four, but but more so around the one on that book Endurance, where it went, it was a failure in terms of what they tried to do, what they set out to achieve. But then the resilience of keeping people alive and that survival leadership um, that he did with twenty seven um, crewmen um, or members of the of the crew to stay alive for nearly two years on ice with with nothing basically because of the leadership and the principles he put put in to protect these people and to keep them busy and to make sure they had camaraderie and collaboration and there was team ethics rather than people just you know you can imagine in that it's a disaster right it's crisis how do you manage under a crisis i was obsessed with really finding out more about that because again in the world of sport that happens there are times when it just does not go the way you want it to do. And how are you going to react as a leader? Everyone's looking at you as a leadership team, the senior people within the team. Everyone's watching your your absolute move and you are exemplary and you have to be aware of that. You can I always say in sport and, and in leadership, you can always feel that you can feel the eyes on you. You can feel people watching you from from everywhere because they want to see how you're going to react to something that is you know branded as this is this is high stress this is this is now this could be managing a failure here or how are we going to how are we going to react so you have so much to do as a leader you know it's i always say leadership is easier when you're winning being successful and you actually earn your money when you're not successful and how do you turn it around and what do you do in those moments and it can make and break people it can make and break where you go as a as a team so when i saw and read about Ernest Shackleton i was really interested about that because i knew there's always parts of your career when it's not going to go the way you want to how do you turn it around? What do you do in those moments? And that was, I was really fascinated about um, Ernest Shackleton. And, and and actually I related some of his principles to 
a time in in the Rio 2016 games when I was head coach of British Paratelsis, when after the first two days, we were having really poor results, like really unexpected poor results. There were still people left in the competition, but we had a lot of uh, key athletes had lost already, people that we thought we could, could go on and, and take medals. And it was in those moments where I was like, okay, what do you do here? How do we bring the team around? What's the next move? How do we keep people engaged? How do you keep people motivated? How do we go back to our principles of what we said we were going to do rather than change too much and be emotional and impulsive in the moment? And and, and a lot of that was took from from um, reading Batman or Shackleton. And, and we did turn it around in Rio, thankfully, and that was because of how I think we reacted and adapted the situation. But again, in that high stress and pressure moment, um, you can go either way. So again, understanding yourself, but understanding what's needed for the context is um, is so important. So Erna Shackleton would be my my second uh, uh, short list, and then third and final uh, short. This, this was this was difficult again. There were so many, but actually, probably the the one moment in Winston Churchill's reign as Prime Minister, obviously in the war when. And this is interesting, isn't it? Because as a leader, you want to listen to the team around you, of course, because there's so much expertise. And at times you will go with the consensus of what the team wants around you. But also as a leader, there are, there are times when the team around you are saying one thing, but your feeling and your, your gut feeling, your intuition or your instinct is saying something else. There was a key decision in the war where he made a, a decision that the rest of his people around him didn't want him to make but he made it and you could argue if he didn't make that you know it could have been completely different outcome to the, to the war and there's something i think in that in leadership is that when do you listen to your team but when do you go with what you really feel you know really feel in terms of your intuition now if you're only going with that and not listening to your team then you're not going to motivate them you're not going to empower them you're not going to give them the autonomy but there are times where you know, you are. That's the reason why you are paid as a leader to make the key decisions, and you will take the accountability for the result of it. But I think there are times in leadership and the art of leading where you will go with what you feel as opposed to what your team feels, um, and and it's really difficult to put words on that. But there's certain feelings that you have where you just know it feels the right thing to do, and I think there's a lot to learn in in leadership there. And, and if we go back to that question, he definitely wasn't avoiding that gut feeling he was doing it for a reason and I, and I took a lot of inspiration from that and tried to think about that as well when when I'm in times where I might be listening to my team but it, it just might not feel right and it might not be the what I'm feeling and then what do I do with that and, and I think that's um there's no right or wrong answer to that but that you know, I took some inspiration by um by Winston Churchill and, and listening and reading about about his times in in power as well the three worthy recipients <laughs> yes absolutely can I ask one question about the Shackleton? Mm. So that that example you gave around what was happening in Brazil, and I'm I'm guessing there were lots of factors in that response. I think that I think the the um, what you were talking about there around survival leadership is really interesting. Mm. And there's much that you were there's much that was interesting, but that's the bit that's grabbed me: the survival leadership. And there will be there would have been lots of factors, but if there were one thing. So when you were in that moment or moments of turning that atmosphere and turning turning that around, if there were one thing that you thought was the most important factor in all the different things that you did at, at that time, what would it be? I think in that particular context, 
we t- we talk about adapting and flexing, but actually in that moment it was it was not changing because we thought if we change in this moment we could look like we're being false and not being authentic. So how do we make sure that although we know and we can air that the results haven't gone the way that we wanted them to have gone so far, but actually that doesn't change the plan here and it doesn't change the principles of what we're trying to do because we still believe in the rest of the competition and the athletes that are left in that we can achieve the goals that we want to achieve. But there was a moment where we we talked about, do we completely change here in terms of how we're being with the athletes do we need to go more direct do we need to bring in more emotion do we need to and that was the impulse talking and it was tempted it was really tempted to do that because when you're in that moment you're like you know you could go quite desperate we need the results and we need to but actually no let's we haven't had a great start let's not change in this moment because what what the negatives that that will bring to the athletes what will they observe in us what will they see in us Will that be helpful or unhelpful in that moment? And so actually the biggest thing we did was stay cool, we'll stay calm, we'll stay together. Uh, we know that what could happen is that we could get we could get little pockets in the team that could start whispering, that could start, you know, uh, rumours and, and create this real carnage um, environment. And so we needed to bring people together, keep them aligned to what we believed in, in the principles. So actually in that moment, the key thing was, was not to change, but to act, absolutely act on probably overemphasizing what we believed in and what our principles were. So not changing our principles, um, but absolutely talking them about them more often so that people didn't go off in different directions would be probably the, the probably the biggest thing we did. Um, and who knows, if we'd have done nothing, you could argue, say maybe the re- results still would have been there, but actually the feedback from the athletes and the staff post the event was how the senior staff brought everyone together and and stayed true to what we believe in they they said was a key part in the in the in the sort of future results of that competition so you know we're, we're quite happy with how we we dealt with that under under extreme pressure I'm gonna need to let you go greg but before you go we we never let anybody leave without asking for one recommendation a book a podcast a something to read, something to listen to, something to watch, one thing that you'd say to the leaders listening to this? I'm actually reading at the moment Owen Eastwood's uh, book called Belonging, oh, yeah. which um, I really like. So that's currently in in the sort of, uh, I'm getting through that, which around culture and around making sure that people feel part of something, as we've probably you know, brought up today, is uh, I definitely recommend that. But one of my, if I could put another one in quickly in there, one of my David Marquette Turn the Ship Around leadership book. Absolutely love that one. I think it's like my favourite leadership book. So, uh, yeah, everyone alive on planet Earth should uh, should read that. <laughs> Fabulous. Greg, thank you so much. No, thank you very much for the invitation. So that's it now for season three of Leadership Letters. Thank you so much for joining us. Towards Leadership will continue through the summer with more tools, techniques, insights and challenges for you as leaders and Leadership Letters will be back in September. So it's not too late to get in touch to join us in September and write your own Leadership Letter or to recommend a guest. We'd love to hear from you. Find us wherever you download your podcasts or at our new home, towardsleadership.com. And a request before we leave you is that over the summer, you tell someone about this podcast. This is Leadership Letters, the podcast reflecting on all things leadership.
see you soon. Mm-hmm.